You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. If you want to get the most out of your streaming services, ExpressVPN is a no-brainer. Visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com slash missionlog, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash missionlog. This episode is also sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash missionlog and get on your way to being your best self. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mission Log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 516, Prey. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we hunt down an episode of Star Trek. Then we pause to ask ourselves if we're really in the middle of someone else's unethical fight and try to slip away with as little bloodshed and as many morals, meanings, and messages as we can. This week, pray. The one where Janeway and Seven of Nine are in a showdown to see whose steely resolve will devour the other one first. Oh, and there's something else going on in here with the Herogen and Species 8472. I'll be right back with trivia after Norman tells all of you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion with this week's Fresh Kill. I mean, <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have an episode with a soul writing credit going to Brandon Braga. And let's talk about Brandon and the Herogen a little bit. We're in the midst of a mini arc that centers on the Herogen, but how did they come about? Well, according to Star Trek Voyager, A Celebration by friend of the show, Ben Robinson, it was Brannon who was watching football with Ken Biller and Brian Fuller, and he remarked how small you feel when you're up close to those guys, and that's where the idea for the physically imposing Herogen started. Brannon also knew that he was going to use the opportunity with these new antagonists to make some very bold, creative choices with the show. And by the way, Norman, to your point, uh, last week or maybe the week before, we were talking about the Herogen and how they're a little predator-like. Brannon does admit that, well, he wasn't looking at that specifically, but it was sort of out there in the world and maybe some predator influence slipped into his mind. But it was really football that, uh, that got him started on this. Part of the picture here was asking Michael Westmore to come up with a new makeup design. And he based the look of the Herogen skin off a real-world Gila monster. And then it was up to Wardrobe to complete the look with the armor. And that was originally designed with a vacuum-form plastic, but it was too rigid, and they switched over to rubber to give the actors some flexibility. Uh, hold on to that thought. Those masks that we saw before, those were taken off, too, in order to see more of the Herogen character faces starting with this episode. 
Prey was directed by Alan Eastman. We're introducing a new director to the series, although this isn't the first time we've mentioned Alan. In DS9's sixth season, he directed the O'Brien-centric episode Honor Among Thieves, and that actually aired originally just a few days after this episode of Voyager did. So this was the first time Alan had his name on an aired episode of Star Trek, He'll be back for one more in Voyager's next season, and let's not forget that he has a number of other genre titles on his resume, like Sliders, Andromeda, Earth Final Conflict, Stargate SG-1, and many others. Let's meet our guest stars. Well, we do meet some new Herogen in this episode, and two of them are played by Clint Carmichael. Two, you say? Yes, two. Clint first plays a Herogen who literally loses his head early in the show and then comes back as one of the hunters that we see on the view screen. We have indeed seen Clint before when he debuted on Star Trek as a Nausicaan in the TNG episode Tapestry, and he has gone on to appear in guest roles just all over the place since then. Fitting the Herogen mold, Clint is six foot four and also has been involved in competitive sports, stunt work on film, and even worked in stunt roles in various live shows for a number of years at Universal Studios Hollywood. And as our lead Herogen in this episode, welcome back to Star Trek veteran Tony Todd. We know we've seen him before as Kern and as a future version of Jake Sisko. For this role, Tony wanted to work on another Trek series, but he was not prepared for the demands of the makeup and wardrobe. <laughs> so remember I talked about moving from vacuform to rubber, and even that caused problems. To this day, Tony calls a Herogen the most uncomfortable thing he has ever worn for a role. Maybe that's why this is the last on-screen Trek credit he has. Well, yes, his voice was used in a couple of Trek video games after this episode, but maybe, just maybe, he'll come back for more if there are fewer prosthetics. Don't look now, but the finger-painting people are back. Any chance we can make peace with them and get them to take up papier-mâché? Prologue. A high-speed pursuit unfolds between what seems to be a fleeing species 8472 bioship and a Herogen attack vessel. Aboard the pursuit ship, two Herogen keenly observe their prey with the precision that only experienced hunters possess. They study the bioship like predators assessing a wounded and cornered animal, ready to exploit any mistake. As the bioship seeks refuge within a nearby asteroid belt, the Alpha senses that his prey has chosen to make its last stand. Arming themselves with their most formidable weaponry and adorning their helmets with their signature colored paint, the Herogen hunters set out to claim their prize, who had taken refuge on one of the asteroids. Yet, despite their advanced technology, scanners failed to detect any life signs. Undeterred, the Alpha orders them both to track it the old-fashioned way, with their own eyes. When they corner the lone member of species 8472, they unleash a hail of gunfire with ruthless efficiency and precision. Flawless victory. Act 1. Seven of Nine is in sickbay and is being subjected to a lesson of sorts from the doctor. He has compiled a series of exercises that he found most effective while he was learning the ins and outs of social complexities 
aiming to better understand not only his crew, but also his patience. Well, his patience, lack of patience with, with him, and, and now with her. The doctor explains that if he had a mentor at the beginning of his social development, things would have gone more smoothly. Seeing this as irrelevant, Seven leaves, but not without expressing a nicety to show that the doctor's efforts were kind of working. On the bridge, the crew is on alert as sensors have detected an alien vessel on approach. It's Hirogen, but something is amiss. The Hirogen ship is not responding to any of Voyager's hails, and their weapons remain uncharged. Tuvok also informs Janeway that only one life form is aboard, just as the ship's engines go offline. Chakotay believes this could be a trap. After all, their recent past experience with the Hirogen has been less than cordial. Seven believes they should destroy the Hirogen, but Janeway sees this as a teachable moment for Seven and to see if compassion can win the day. Tom, Chakotay, and Tuvok beam over to take stock of what happened on the Hirogen ship. After surveying the ship littered with carcasses, bones, and assorted alien oddities, like a vat of what might either be denatured prey or dinner, hard to tell, Tom finds one of them torn to pieces, and Tuvok and Chakotay find the Alpha, not only clinging onto his gun with dear life, but, well, also to dear life. Later in the briefing room, and after studying the navigational logs from the Hirogen ship, Chakotay and Tuvok inform Janeway that the hunting party has tracked their prey across some 90 star systems, as is part of their nomadic culture, and one that seems to be devoid of any kind of home planet. However, unbeknownst to all of them, the Hirogen's prey, the lone member of species 8472, has made literal contact with Voyager as it climbs up the main hull. Act 2 Wanting to learn more about their prisoner, Janeway interrogates the Alpha Hirogen, confined behind a force field in sickbay for medical attention. Though the Alpha seems stable, Janeway implores him to cooperate so that he can be properly treated. In doing so, he could help identify exactly who attacked him, crippled his ship, and killed his fellow Hirogen. All the Alpha is willing to confess is that his prey has escaped, insisting on his immediate release to continue his hunt. True to his form, literally, the doctor informs the Alpha that he's a hologram, rendering any attempts to harm him during the medical examination useless. On the bridge, Chakotay reports that six Hirogen ships are en route, converging on Voyager's position. They will intercept them in approximately four hours, putting pressure on the crew. Janeway aims to use the aided Hirogen as a bargaining chip, hoping this act of mercy can be an olive branch for peace. Despite Chakotay's admiration for her diplomatic solution, his cultural research on the Hirogen indicates that they are an aggressive hunter species who view any other living beings as prey. Suddenly, the ship jolts as if hit by an energy weapon. Harry's sensors reveal a hull rupture on deck 11. Tuvok and Harry reach the damaged area, observing a force field sealing off a ripped open bulkhead. Tuvok scans debris on the tunnel floor, identifying it as fluidic plasma, blood from species 8472. Janeway orders the entire ship to be secured and locked down, arming herself and initiating a ship-wide visual scan since 8472 can evade internal sensors. As the crew scrambles to defend against being boarded, 
Balana, and several others in engineering are attacked by the lone species 8472, who leaps down from atop the warp core. Act 3. Janeway arrives in engineering to help pick up the pieces after the attack by species 8472. Seven reports that attempts to stop it were unsuccessful, and it fled into Jeffrey's tube 17 Alpha. Janeway orders Tuvok to secure that area. On the way to sickbay, Janeway asks Seven if the Borg had any strategies against being boarded by Species 8472. Seven tells her that they always destroyed the central power core of the Borg cubes first, but didn't cripple Voyager's warp core. Confused by what Species 8472 is planning, Janeway returns to sickbay to question the only one on board that may have an answer, fearing that if there is one sole member of Species 8472 in the Delta Quadrant, Perhaps this is a prelude to their return. The Alpha Herogen admits that after over 50 light years, he and his comrade have failed to kill their prey, but he knows how it thinks. Both he and Janeway negotiate a truce. With his intimate knowledge of species 8472's evasion skills, along with Chakotay's supervision and Seven's Borg nanoprobes that stopped 8472 en masse during their first invasion attempt of the Delta Quadrant, Janeway orders her attack teams to corner their prey and capture it, regardless of Seven's objections. After donning their encounter suits, Tom and Chakotay escort the Herogen to Deck 11, where gravity and environmental controls are offline. The Alpha does what Alphas do, and tries to take point on this hunt. But Chakotay orders him to fall back, stating that this is his hunt and his ship. In another corridor, Tuvok and Seven have their Borg nanoprobe weapons charged and at the ready, heading towards Chakotay's current position. And not a moment too soon, as the Alpha, upon making visual contact with his prey, waylays and subdues both Chakotay and Tom. He's in the midst of unleashing massive amounts of firepower on what appears to be a dormant species, 8472, but before the Alpha can complete his hunt, Tuvok stuns him to the floor from the safety of the cross corridor right behind Tom. Act 4. Tuvok meets with Neelix in the mess hall and asks if he can help bolster his security forces. Suddenly, Tuvok is overwhelmed by a telepathic signal. It's species 8472, and it's trying to communicate with him. Meanwhile, while walking through a corridor turned into a fortified emergency brig, Janeway is briefed by the doctor and Chakotay. They inform her that the Alpha Herogen is back in his sickbay holding cell, and that species 8472 according to the doctor, acts as if it were a wounded animal. Janeway adds that the Herogen have been mercilessly hunting it for months. And as they arrive at the cell holding 8472, Tuvok is waiting for them and tells Janeway that his telepathic connection with the creature has revealed that it is alone. Left behind after its ship was damaged when the Borg were allied with Voyager, while the rest of its kind retreated back to fluidic space. The Herogen have been hunting it ever since. It conveys to Tuvok that it doesn't want to fight anymore and just wants to return home. It tried to use Voyager's deflector dish to open a singularity portal to its dimension, but it failed in its attempt. Janeway promises the creature that she will find a way to return it to its own space as it collapses and loses consciousness. In sickbay, Janeway informs the Alpha that his hunt is over and she will be returning species 8472, his prey, back to fluidic space. The Alpha promises Janeway that if he is denied his prey, then her crew will take its place. 
And as if her day wasn't complicated enough, the one person on board with the technical ability to recreate the singularity to return species 8472 to fluidic space is Seven of Nine. In her ready room, Janeway informs Seven of her plans to return the alien to its rightful home. Seven doesn't understand. Janeway then regales Seven with a story of when she and her Federation away team spared the life of a fallen Cardassian soldier, even after they already killed most of each other's companies during the course of a brutal battle over a Federation outpost. And no matter the commendation or awards she received, Janeway's truest reward was saving a life, which she told Seven put her closer in touch with her own humanity. Seven disagrees vehemently, calling Janeway's compassion tactically unsound. Species 8472 had its chance, and it failed, and now it will suffer the consequences, as Seven is summarily dismissed and confined to quarters, unwilling to help open the singularity. Act 5. The six Hirogen attack ships have surrounded Voyager and begun to open fire. Voyager returns fire, but it's ineffective against the Hirogen shields. They contact Janeway, demanding the release of her prisoner and his prey. Janeway refuses to surrender the creature, but offers to release their kinsmen. The Hirogen find this unacceptable and continue firing, causing shipwide failures, including both nacelles, crippling Voyager. Main power failure allows force fields to deactivate, allowing both the Hirogen and Species 8472 to escape. The Alpha Hirogen's hunt resumes, armed with a Federation phaser rifle. He reaches the containment area where Species 8472 is being treated by the Doctor. Seven of Nine arrives under the pretense of resupplying the Doctor with modified Borg nanoprobes to incapacitate 8472. Armed guards protecting the corridor are gunned down by the Alpha, who has his sights trained on Species 8472. Seven steps into his line of sight, and before the Alpha can neutralize her, the ship is rocked by Hirogen phaser fire, knocking Seven to the ground and allowing the force field around 8472 to fail. It charges the Alpha, and as both are locked in a death struggle, Seven accesses a nearby panel and beams them both off the ship and onto one of the Hirogen vessels. Janeway and Chakotay are unsure of what to do with Seven of Nine, feeling she has gone rogue. In Cargo Bay 2, Janeway informs Seven that she will no longer condone her insubordinate behavior and punishes her by confining her to non-essential ship systems and the Astrometrics Lab for overstepping the chain of command. Seven believes she is exercising her individuality and is being punished for it. She calls out Janeway for being hypocritical and afraid of her strength and independence, thinking differently. All Janeway has to say in response is, as you were. That's Janeway for... We're done. The end. All right. Thank you, Norman, for guiding us through our next encounter with the Hirogen here. And as we get to know them a little bit better, these Hirogen, I'm going to say, are not as skilled decorators as the ones from last week. There are a lot fewer chains and nets, no bones so far. So it's very different by comparison. You know, I know you were making mention of Tony Todd's problem with the prosthetics, but... You almost don't even need to look at the TV and know that it's Tony Todd speaking. Yeah. His voice yeah. is so singular, you know, and specific. Yeah. yeah. It, it is, it's so good. And, and actually, I even had a note for later, but it, it's applicable at any time that the 
quiet strength that he brings to this role is really cool because you could just play Herogen very over the top mm-hmm. and tough and all, but he commands a room by his quietness yeah. and it's really awesome. I really like the Herogen computer interface. Like that that's kind of wild and it looks like it's mounted into a mine <laughs> basically <laughs> on board. Like that's wild, right? I call it the tactical globe. You know? Oh, I like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's goofy looking and it's a little strange, but I like that the designers are trying something completely yeah. foreign. So plus one to you designers for the tactical yes. globe. Good job. And speaking of things that are very different, that has to be the biggest gun I have ever seen. Right. That thing is huge. I'm wondering if it was like leftover prop development from Men in Black. Because it looked like one of the Men in Black guns, like the Tommy Lee Jones gun. He turns around and that thing's just enormous and kind of ridiculous, but, yeah, you know. And I imagine it's got to be vacuum form that then they chrome. So it couldn't be so heavy that you couldn't walk around with it all day if you're that character in costume. But it is massive. Mm -hmm. And did you catch a little thing? Did the Herogen, did Tony Todd's Herogen makeup, uh, sorry, the paint color change? Because in the ship, he paints white. And then as soon as they're down on the asteroid, it's red. Yes. And so it's a little strange. So, you know, he mm-hmm. says he talks about yeah, 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 the hunt and mm-hmm. dips his finger into he grabs the gun, dips his finger into the white and puts these like mm-hmm. white finger blobs like in the crevices. Yeah. But then like when they're on the planet, they're like perfectly painted on. <laughs> yeah. You know? And um, yeah. his character has. On, you know, uh, flanking, you know, on both sides of his helmet, he has a red stripe on the left side and a red stripe, red stripe on the right side. And then his subordinate yeah. has the two white blobs, but they're also both kind of like painted on like racing stripes. I'm like, I kind of wish that they let the actors just do that. <laughs> just yeah. just let them do that. Just That's, leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought that would have been cool. Uh, I mentioned the masks earlier, how they, you know, went without those for these characters. But then, of course, they have them back on when they're in the asteroid environment. Mm-hmm. But I kept asking myself, don't they need covering of some sort over their eyes or other exposed skin? I guess not. I guess they're they're that tough. All right. We're back on Voyager then. I wonder if the doctor had actually studied his own recommended lines for his bedside (laughs) manner (laughs) because he still has trouble with that. But I love the pretense that he has written these down. That's a lot of fun. I know that this is probably for blocking purposes, but did Mm -hmm. the doctor and Seven really have to like change their on-screen positions from right to left to left (laughs) to right when role-playing? You know, because he's like, no, stand over here. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Just role playing. (laughs) Yeah, that's it's just more business. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's a really fun scene. But in retrospect, I thought it really nicely foreshadows Seven's journey in this episode, needing to needing to interact and needing to show compassion Mm -hmm. and all of these things. But here you just set it up like, no, it's not happening even when it's less important. Um, so I thought that was kind of uh, kind of cool. Of course, throughout this episode, we're going to be asking ourselves if Seven really has maybe a good point in uh, in what she's saying. Maybe it is just best to slip away, uh, given what we know about the Herogen. And of course, Seven actually has some insider experience with the Herogen that uh, Janeway and Chakotay don't have yet. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting to see her in the tactical position where Worf usually stands behind Janeway's chair. I don't think it's the first time we've seen her, but we haven't seen her take that station in quite a while because she's been in the Astrometrics lab for a while. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. Yeah. And when we do get back to the Herogen ship on that away mission, finally, nets and bones. Still not as much, but we finally got some. So the decorators are back on the track. <laughs> you know, I never really mm-hmm. get why, say, Tom goes on some of these away missions, right? Because not only is he like, <laughs> so there's a Herogen ship and they don't know what's happening and they might have to get out there quickly. So let's take our ace pilot and our yeah. backup doctor and put him on a dangerous <laughs> away team mission. Because right. they need him for nothing in particular, right? Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense. Bring back Baxter, man. I'm telling you. I, exactly. Right? Baxter wouldn't even need the army, uh, the armor, right. rather. Yeah, yeah, you just beam him over. He's fine. He doesn't need, yeah. he doesn't need, if they have Bane on their side, we have our own yeah. Bane on our exactly. side. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I, I love all the horror elements in the episodes. We're really starting to crank up what the Herogen do. And that, that feels like a very Brandon Braga thing. You know, the Herogen might be eating their prey yeah. and then you got a head still in a helmet. I, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's great. It's great. Uh, when we get their tactical data, I love the flight path. <laughs> they were following just bouncing all around. Like a plachinko ball. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Chicote, Captain Obvious here, uh, from what I can tell, it's a hunting species. <laughs> wow, a really, really well done. By the way, Chicote, Tuvok is right there in the room with you, and he has been on the inside before. He has been their prey before. And Seven, just ask. That's true. It is funny, but mm. I do like that. Aside from that, which is pretty obvious, he does like have some yeah. really cool like leanings into his like his anthropology background, you know, because sure. we've seen that happen from time to time. So I dig that. At least they're giving him something to do. That's not just. <laughs> yes. Because basically, yeah. like, I, I know this is more of a discussion point than anything, but they've taken pretty much all his lines and given them the seven of nine. Like anything that yeah. would contradict the captain they've given to her. So what's he going to say? <laughs> I know. I know. Exactly. I love the shot of 8472 crawling on the outside of Voyager. It's really like that wing gremlin from Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just reminded me of that. I thought that was cool. And uh, all right, so we get to know Tony Todd's Herogen character. And he, Tony Todd, not quite as huge as Tiny Ron, but still I thought they got great shots of him compared to the rest of our crew and really played up that angle and that difference. Yeah, and I, I just want to reiterate what you were saying about his, his calm demeanor. I mean, it's... When you can portray a character like that, it speaks more volume with less volume. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm i not sure how I feel about this line because I think it sounds a little false bravado to me. Like, or Janeway says about the Herogen, she says to Chakotay, like any cornered animal, we'll show our teeth. Yeah. But it's six to one. Yeah. <laughs> right? I get it. You know, but how about like any cornered animal – will run really, really fast. <laughs> right. right? So yes. how about let's get all the power to our engines and, and get, get out, out. Of Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Again, Seven already told you once <laughs> that this would be a good idea. Yeah. yeah. I-, I love the urgency of calling Red Alert when it may be. They're, they're not, not even really sure, but we might have 8472 aboard. Boom. Red mm-hmm. Alert. Nice use of handheld camera and uh, just yeah. moving cameras throughout this episode overall. I will definitely come back to that. And then, wow, does that 8472 just ruin Bolana's day? I, I mean, it's a good thing that one was wounded because in any other context, uh, she's toast. Well, technically, in, in the vernacular of these alien-type predator movies, aliens don't attack pregnant women. 
Mm, really? So, All right. Yeah, neither do predators. Okay. They don't. They, they feel like it's not. It's just they don't do that. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, again, I, <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about eight. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. And, you know. Good. Uh, again, just you know, terrific motion throughout. We got a lot of this in the episode. Great pacing. Such a good simple effect when eight four seven two turns environmental controls off and Tuvok starts floating. I thought that was yeah. that was really nice. I wondered, like, what was it? What, was he just sort of, like, standing on his tiptoes, or did they have him on a, a gimbal or something? <laughs> just move him a little? I'm thinking, like, you know, one of these, like, office chairs, just, like, just hit the button. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> right, take right. Take the hiss out and post. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like the... No, no, a little too high. <laughs> <laughs> right. Know, for the down. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like seeing the uh, first contact spacesuits. Very, very cool. Again, I still wondered about the exposed skin on the Herogen, but I guess he's tough like that. See, I thought they looked a little soft. Oh, like, really? They looked a little, like, you know, well, I mean, then again, you know, we're used to, like, the evolution of the spacesuits yeah. as we see them today. But I do like that the forearm controls still look like the motion picture flight suit yeah. controls. Yeah, that's very cool. I laughed out loud, literally, uh-huh. when when the Herogen was saying, like, I tracked this, blah, blah, blah. And then Tom says, I once tracked a mouse through Jeffrey's tube 32. I thought that was hilarious. Yes. I don't know was, why, but it was just so funny. That was good stuff. <laughs> I like the little uh, sound effect that we get with the magnetized boots. Uh, again, I think that's mm-hmm. also a carryover from uh, First Contact. I, mm-hmm. I wondered about Seven of Nine's kind of emotional response about the Borg fighting with 8472. It was a good line about uh, billions of Borg being killed and hundreds of their worlds. I mean, that's that's pretty huge, seeing as how formidable the Borg are. But then Seven has also, and, and we've we've called her out on it sometimes when it seemed like she was hiding the subtext of what she's really thinking. But it seems like there is an emotional response there, an emotional connection there when when otherwise it would just be like, oh, yeah, that's what happens, and we fought back. I'm wondering if the synapses are starting to actually line up with mm. what that really means versus her understanding of her human emotions, and now that's starting to trigger her. Yeah. Because yeah. she understands the context of death, yeah. you know, at that volume and that kind of, like, brutality. That's so. a good point, yeah. I like the floating blood in the anti-gravity situation. as a nice little throwback to Star Trek Six. thought that was cool. Yeah. I love Chakotay backing down the Alpha. He's like, my ship, my rules. Yeah. Makuche Moya, y'all. <laughs> you know? That's right, Yeah. A lot of effects, a lot of, lot of shooting in this scene. as uh, good action sequence, though I'm surprised that Tom could withstand a blast from a Herogen weapon meant to kill 8472. It just seems like that would go right through him and we would not see Tom again. Well, you know, the strongest armor in, in you know, science fiction is plot armor. Uh, that's very so. true. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why isn't the Herogen floating once he's knocked off his feet? Because there's still... The, the gravity plating is still off there, right? Plot gravity. Oh, plot gravity. I like that, too. Yeah. Um, mm. Now, I really do love this scene, but it, it, it is kind of weird that Tuvok personally needs to take time to go to the mess hall to chat with Neelix about picking up a gun and, you know, joining the fight. Like, maybe, maybe just for future reference, all you need to do is just hit your comm badge and say, you know, security alert, all hands and then Neelix knows what to do. Like maybe that's just a shortcut instead of I'm just going to wander down here and have this nice quiet one-on-one with you and say, "Hey Neelix, 
we really need you. No, I, I think if there ever was a contractually obligated <laughs> yeah, scene, it was that, that one. That's it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, here's another question for you. Species 8472 accessed deflector control and tried to open a singularity. Janeway says he was trying to get home. How can she be sure? Maybe he was actually opening the singularity because on the other side of the singularity, several thousand more 8472 were just waiting to come out and not only rescue this one, but kill everybody else. Well, I heard that there was, I, I saw somewhere that there was a cut scene where Janeway looked at the ground and right next to some of the blood mm-hmm. that was found, there was a speak and spell and half of an umbrella. So, oh, you know, oh, he's trying to go home. Oh, okay. That's yeah, adorable. Yeah. That's adorable. Yeah. I yeah. think it was finally looking for the record player, but couldn't find an antique. Yeah. So good point. it was really stuck yeah. with nowhere to go. Oh, good point. Yeah. I really do like the flashback used from the battle sequence yeah. of Scorpion to kind of like tie this entire thing together. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I thought that yeah, was a good, good choice. Too. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. You, you just made a speaking spell joke, uh, made an ET mm-hmm. reference. But wait, if 8472 can use a computer to try to, you know, bend physics to its will, couldn't it type out a text message to the crew? Could it? Maybe I don't know. do that. Okay. All right. Maybe. But no. but regardless, the telepathic moment is good. I like that as a reveal of what, what's going on with uh, Tuvok. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Great, great, great shot of Janeway entering sickbay. I, I mean, mm-hmm. again, I, I will say this throughout. Alan Eastman, he is really flexing. He's got Marvin Rush on his side showing off. And when they do those, like, like little bit of fisheye lens – change that focal length a bit and you just see her frame perfectly between those two security guards oh every one of those shots you could just save as a still looks so good i just remembered something i didn't Mm -hmm. i forgot to put it in my notes but when when she's talking to you know the alpha who's you know behind his force field for like the last time what happened to the bio bed Oh. It was just an empty room. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in there in the first scenes with him, but not yeah. in the remaining scenes. Yeah. Maybe the doctor was like, well, you didn't lay down when I told you to lay down, so no more bio bed for you. <laughs> like, does it, does it, you know, just kind of like, you know, uh, is there like a, a hidden hatch in the floor? Does it look like, oh, like a James Bond yeah, villain table like or something? That, that would be cool. Yeah. Once again, I cannot, you know, compliment Tony Todd enough. It, it, there's like this, he has this malevolence that just kind of mm. comes out of his every pore yeah. when he's talking that that seething kind of anger that reserve yeah you know that this guy is not an empty threat if he says i'm gonna make your crew my next target yeah. you gotta believe that that's gonna happen yeah yeah right absolutely cut to really good scene with seven while janeway tries to explain compassion i i will come back to that in our discussion today, but I thought that was such a uh, an important scene, obviously, uh, but so mm-hmm. interesting to me that it, it's something that you actually have to do with someone. Well, I'm wondering if this is like another, hey, look, another Seven and Janeway showdown. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly if this is the pattern that they wanted, but all that being said, I agree with you. I think that this is one of those incredible, you know, Kate Mulgrew acting performances that only she can do. She has got so many layers in this scene and so many places to go in this scene. Uh, so, yeah, Kate is fantastic in it. Just the the capper on that, because most of the time when you go to a commercial break, there's a cliffhanger moment. But we just get this mm-hmm. look from Janeway, the, the frustration <laughs> 
of her story yeah. not working and having to discipline somebody who she has grown attached to as a crew member and hopefully as a friend, you know. I'm not a member of the Voyager crew, and I'm still terrified of crossing Janeway. So, you know, I... I think we were from, like, the first episode. Oh, I think so. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Back in sickbay, when you see these security guards that we've never seen before, you know they're going to (laughs) die. And I don't think they actually died in the episode, but we do catch one of them on the ground at some point when our Herogen has uh, gotten out of the security field. They are pretty nervous. They are. They kind of sweaty. Security officers are like they look at each other. Yeah, Yeah, they're like, "Oh God, (laughs) this is our turn, isn't it?" (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, just a note for the bridge: auxiliary power should be a thing that just comes on automatically. Maybe do that in a computer, like a shortcut. It, It shouldn't be something that you have to ask for of somebody else, and then that somebody else has to do an action in order for it to happen. You know, there's the funniest line. I don't. I think it's in Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, where you know, Kirk, after being, you know, after what happened with the Reliant and the Reliant taxi Enterprise, yeah. Kirk says to Scotty, "Try auxiliary yeah, power." Exactly. Really? Exactly. The chief He's engineer. The engineer of the, Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, and he goes, "Aye, aye, sir." Like not in an "aye, aye, yeah." I thought of it kind of way, like "aye, aye, of course. yes, sir, I will." Yeah. Like there are hospitals that I've worked at years ago. When the power goes out on a floor, emergency lights come automatically on. No one yells down the hallway, please turn on the emergency lights. <laughs> right, right. Because lives are at stake. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. uh, it's so weird. Yeah. Um, I guess Seven's confinement is kind of like whatever, mm-hmm. because when you need your star player, you can't keep him on the bench for long. No, no. I wondered like, about that. I mean, still not following orders, I guess, because everybody's got a phaser with nanoprobes in it. She's like, I'm, I'm here for the right? fight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did wonder, though, with her clever solution, is, is Seven putting 8472 in a Herogen ship kind of like Scotty beaming, beaming over a bunch of Tribbles to a Klingon ship? Is that kind of what we're getting oh. there? Mm-hmm. Like, Where there's, there'll be no Herogen at all. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. See? Yeah, it, instead of like the cute, funny ending, it's like, oh, it, then it was a bloodbath. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And then it, the entire pockets of the Delta Quadrant collapse. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, into yeah. fluidic space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seven lots out Harry's bridge operation controls from a foot panel yeah. in the hallway from like a random deck uh-huh. because reasons. That's, because she that's how computers work, I guess. Yeah. But then she gets punished for her creative thinking. And man, I, again, that closing scene with Janeway, I'm. Again, I didn't do anything, and I feel guilty to the point that I can't even move. I don't know about anybody else, but now I want to hear the epic tale of Tom Paris versus the Jeffrey's Tube Mouse. We'll get right back to Prey after a word from this week's sponsors. Hey, did you know that you can watch old Star Trek episodes on Netflix? I know, Star Trek, right? Like what? That, I, that, that show that we talk about all the time. Did you know that, Norman? Well. I, I do now. You do now? Well, it's true because yeah. I'm not lying. Um, if you've ever tried to search Star Trek on Netflix and come up short, well, let me tell you why. That's because Netflix actually has different shows depending on which country you're in. But with an app called ExpressVPN, you 
just like me, well, you can change your online location. So what I do is I can control where I want websites to think I'm located. And by the way, Norman, not only Mm -hmm. have I done this in the U.S., but I have done this when I have traveled abroad to connect back to my streaming services in the U.S. So it kind of works both ways. Well, naturally. I mean, you want to have your Star Trek where you are, you know, yeah. kind of like not vice versa. But it's obvious that we love Star Trek everywhere. And let me tell you exactly how I've done it. Well, wherever I've been, if I launch the ExpressVPN app and turn it on, there's a little toggle there where you can select which country you're coming from. Now, normally, a smart location would just go like, oh, okay, you're in the U.S., so we're going to connect you to a different location in the U.S. But you can very easily switch down and search through that list of 100-plus countries and decide which ones you want to use. So I typically use, uh, well, I use France, I use Germany, I use the U.K., I use Canada. Those are all very, very useful. And if you happen to find yourself on French Netflix, uh guess what you will find? there norman star trek and you know and uh well you know not just star trek but a lot of star trek and we're not talking about a lot of star trek we're talking about the 1966 to 2005 era of star trek Mm -hmm. that's a lot of star trek that's over 700 plus hours of star trek yeah that that is a lot including the animated series so naturally at all yeah, all the Star Trek you could possibly handle right there. And look, it's not just Star Trek, although maybe our Star Trek bias is showing. It's not just Star Trek. This works for literally thousands of TV shows and movies on any of the places that you stream. Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Prime Video. I happen to be a fan of BBC iPlayer. And guess what? I'm in Los Angeles, not in London, much to my disappointment. So if you want to get the most out of your streaming services, ExpressVPN is a no-brainer. Visit our special link right now at expressvpn.com slash mission log, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash mission log. You know, John, one of the the great challenges in life and one of the great joys in life is how you you navigate through relationships, whether they're personal relationships or professional relationships. It's something that it feeds the soul when you can find ways to be able to make those relationships better. In my experience, one of my proudest relationships is my personal relationship, you know, with my partner. And it's not, Mm -hmm. It's not an easy road all the time. There are, you know, there are obviously like great moments, there are setbacks, there are challenges, but then overcoming those challenges also takes a lot of personal effort and takes a lot of sacrifice and takes sometimes, sometimes it takes a little bit of advice, right? So there's a misconception about relationships, about them always being easy or always having to have the right fit or have the right chemistry or have the right timing, But it takes a lot of work. And part of the process is therapy for some people. Mm -hmm. And for me, some therapy has helped me help make better decisions about my relationships because I can't see every single angle of every single part of my relationship all at once. You know, it is 
so nice. And I, I've definitely been an advocate of therapy on this show before and to, uh, to other people who have asked or, or who listen. I, I cannot stress enough exactly what you're getting at. The therapy is there for not just the personal relationships, not just the romantic relationships, but also for your friendships and for your professional relationships. Those are all part of what maybe you need to have a look at with some professional help. And maybe things are going fine. But that doesn't mean that those things aren't necessarily immune from analysis and a better understanding with you and a professional. So I was reluctant for a number of years before I started uh, investigating therapy for myself. And yeah, that happened at times when things were really difficult. But I also very quickly discovered that therapy can, can be a great benefit when things are seemingly okay and you just need an extra perspective maybe an extra little bit of a boost, a little bit of encouragement. And I, I think it part of that is just learning positive coping skills, setting boundaries, learning the things that empower you to be the best version of yourself. So it's not just for people who are going through, you know, a serious shakeup in their life or trauma, things like that. It really can be for any point in your life. So I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And then you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate. Whether you're looking for one or not, Visit BetterHelp.com slash MissionLog today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MissionLog. All right, you want to get right into it with seven? Wow, <laughs> right off the bat, huh? Yeah, I, I read it, I, yeah, because I mean, I, I, how much time can we spend on the other things in this episode? I mean, there, there is so much going on with Seven not just driving the plot here, but also her run-ins with Janeway. I, let me tell you, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I think that the, the drama plays out very nicely in this episode. And one of the things that I appreciate about having her on the show now as a foil for Janeway, and you've mentioned and we've mentioned before how maybe Chakotay is not living up to the promise mm -hmm. of what we thought he would be. I think Seven's presence on the ship and her actions represent really the whole dilemma with Voyager in the Delta Quadrant to begin with. I, from the beginning, you know, the, the premise was that Janeway can pull together her crew under Starfleet values as much as she wants. But what happens when that unstoppable force meets the immovable object? And how many times have we seen Janeway just put her foot down and say, no, this is the law because I'm the captain and this is what we're doing. And there hasn't been room for objection. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been much more than lip service paid to even entertaining another course of action. But I think Seven is playing out this great role uh, of truly making the captain have to think twice about 
decisions that she makes, even if we know that Janeway will probably just go right on with what, with what she plans to do. But I, I think that's so good in the respect that if we're saying that Voyager is in this unique position where not all the rules may apply – even though we're going to try to stick to those rules, we're going to try very hard to live up to those ideas and ideals. There might be times that come along that you are simply not prepared for. And what are you going to do then? Mm -hmm. And here's seven to come along and say, well, I would do exactly this, this, and this, and not only say it, but actually do it. And she is protected by a little bit of that plot armor that, yeah, she's a lead character on the show, but even in universe, she occupies this unique space of being a crew member, but not actually being Starfleet and being naive to human interaction and the norm normalities of Starfleet interpersonal protocols. But on the flip side of that coin, having almost infinite knowledge of this part of the galaxy. So she is indispensable, and yet she is also a huge problem for Janeway. I, I, I love the way that this expresses itself dramatically in an episode like this. So I have two trains of thought when it comes to looking at this particular scenario in Star Trek. Which, which train of thought would you like me to discuss? The in-universe train of thought or the real-world reality mm. train of thought? Because I think that that's where the problem lies. Well, well let's okay. go with in-universe okay. first. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it, most of my in-universe um, application to the, the issue that I have with Seven of Nine as a character and how she's established or how she has been established does kind of bleed into the real world because I call it the hypocrisy of hierarchy. And I deal with this all the time, okay. or I have dealt with this, you know, in corporate situations. And when you take a look at Voyager from a hierarchical structure, because that's what Janeway says, there is a hierarchy of command, and you stepped over mm -hmm. the line. You know, that's the way that she addresses mm -hmm. Seven at the end. You need to understand this. But at no point from Seven being indoctrinated from a Borg to a human with Borg implants, has she been given the training and protocol understanding of how to function on a starship? Not once, mm. not mm -hmm. once. Everyone's just like, you're going to be okay. Here's how you do things. I'm going to get upset at you, but I'm going to tell you why I'm upset. None of that, none of that can replace proper training and protocol because that's what she needs. She is a tabula rasa blank slate mind that has been erased yeah and needs new information. And I think that it is irresponsible for Janeway and the rest of her crew to think that she can just act according to Starfleet mentality and, and, and it is, you know, hierarchy. It is interesting that the only rules that have really been expressed to Seven are just uh, be nice mm -hmm. and the captain is always right. I mean... Of course, she is Borg. I get that, right? And she has yeah. all of the baggage that came with that. But that has nothing to do with what these other people have done for their whole life. You know, incorporate themselves mm -hmm. into organizations. People please say yes when they really mean no. Say no when they really mean yes. Mm -hmm. Play the political game. Mm -hmm. Play the nuance game. You know, read the room. All of the nuances that make human beings, human beings, and now throw that into what I believe we've never escaped from in the entirety of our lives since high school is the high school model. 
You know, you have the popular kids, you have the kids that do, you have the kids that don't, and then you have the kids that skirt by, right? So where does one fit into this equation when none of those models apply, right? And how do you like, do they mm-hmm. sink or swim? You say, just go make a natural metrics lab because you're bored. You can't do that. Right. Yeah. Because she's yeah. going to need certain things and she's going to get certain things to get the job done. Her understanding as Borg is to get things done. That's what she's done for her whole existence, just to com- facilitate point A to point B with as little interference as possible. But that's not how reality works. And now she's being punished for it because no one's trained her how reality works. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and Janeway has spent a decent amount of time uh, reinforcing this message that you know you're a valuable member of this crew. We are your new family now, and we are compassionate and we care about your well-being. By the way, you're grounded, <laughs> and you know, and, and you have to stick to this room until we need you, which apparently was very quickly in this show because she's got a phaser in her hand again by Act Five. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a one-sided relationship in that uh, respect. I have a very strange analogy here, so bear with me, folks. But this is the way I, I honestly see it. I see Seven akin to like a family adopting a wild animal into its home and, mm-hmm. and to raise it as a domesticated animal because it's wonderful, it's new, it's shiny, it's exotic, it's a distraction – it's like, I want a family pet, but I don't want the standard pet. We already had the Klingons on board. We've already had the Vulcans on board. Let's get this incredibly yeah. exotic, new, wild, untamable pet and, and yeah. see if we can incorporate it in our family. And then a few instances of bad behavior kind of bleed through because it only knows what it knows. It'll just nip yeah. somebody here or it'll chew up the carpet here. And then something really bad happens. Yeah. Something really bad happens, like it attacks like a child or destroys something very valuable. But then you have to chalk it up to it's just in its nature. And that takes us all the way back to Scorpion. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Because yeah. even For though real. that she's been humanized, she's still Borg and she still acts like something that's not human because it's in her nature. Right. So you can't blame the animal for that. The animal doesn't belong there. It hasn't been raised or properly trained to break it of its original condition and programming. So when it does something wrong and you beat it with a newspaper, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to react badly. So now Seven has done what she believes is right, and now she gets thrown back into isolation. And all of her privileges, which she had since day one, which is more than most of the people on Voyager can say, are now revoked. True. (laughs) Because... And also keep in mind that in Seven, we're dealing with a being who is raised in a completely different set of values and uh, uh, circumstance, understanding of how the universe works because she's Borg. Mm-hmm. All right. So the the perspective, the point of view is completely different. But Seven also brings a kind of, I, I think, logic to the situation that Janeway is overlooking. And I I will come back to this a couple of times about the the compassion speech. And I'm not really sure that you can teach compassion. I like to think that you can, but I'm not sure in all cases that you actually can. 
So when Seven of Nine says, I will not be a willing participant in my own destruction or the destruction of the ship, I ask myself, first of all, where is this energy from Chakotay when we need it? Right. Uh, <laughs> right. All right. But, but again, but the logic is impeccable because if the mission, if the dedication to the mission is to get Voyager home and save as many people on Voyager as you can, it seems like Seven of Nine's course of action is the most logical. So uh, Janeway is introducing this sort of curveball into the mix here. And I don't know if there is a good way to logic her out of the situation. I kind of like to see uh, some consultation with Tuvok because we get a little bit of that with Seven and Tuvok, but not nearly enough as uh, as this has played out in the first half of the season. I really wondered if, uh, well, first of all, we have to ask ourselves, is Janeway right in her initial plan to save 8472. I mean, that that's the ugly question to ask because she is showing compassion and that, that is a value that we have to hold very high. At the same time, she is being chased down by a half dozen Herogen ships that will absolutely blast them out of the sky. And then the other question is, can she order compassion? And will that lesson stick with Seven at all? Because by, by the time we get to the end of this, the only thing that has stuck with Seven is Janeway's hypocrisy in how she treats Seven of Nine. Why do I keep thinking of Robert De Niro as <laughs> Al Capone? I, you know, we, we talk about the untouchables every now and then, mm-hmm. but it, it's Janeway saying a man stands alone at the plate. This is the time for what? For individual achievement. There he stands alone. But in the field, what? Part of a team. Teamwork. And, and then sadly, this, I think of Chakotay this, being the guy saying teamwork, teamwork, and then Janeway just bludgeons him with yes, a bat. Yeah, Chakotay is, <laughs> he is that 100% guy. that guy. He is 100% that guy. Yeah. Oh, so bad. Uh, but, but these are rules here that Seven simply can't follow because they, they don't seem to come from a logical place. And I don't know how you reach her in this. Like Again, I, I don't want to leave Janeway off the hook at all because I think Janeway had a couple of opportunities here to be able to get out of this situation. But she kept digging further in and then had to rely on the one person who could clean up the problem for her. And then punish that person. And that, you know, I, that's a good point. And I think that that could have, in universe and out of universe, spared us and the crew by doing one simple thing that this show was actually getting really good at up until the marketing decision to start whittling down the the spotlight to a few characters. Mm. And that is, mm-hmm. don't forget that you have this wonderful crew and command staff that can advise you. That has always been the strength yeah. of Star Trek. And no show did it better than The Next Generation. The Next Generation yeah. had that always. They had that wonderful scene when Picard would sit in that on that wonderful end of that highly polished table and his staff <laughs> would always brief him and they would always, always talk out the problem. Most of the time, yeah. right? Most of the time. But at least always as far as I remember it. And that's what is missing here. Janeway has this you know, a no-win situation on her hands. You know, does the good yeah. of the one, species 8472, outweigh the mm-hmm. good of the many? The crew that she has promised time and time again that she would get home. Then all of a sudden, havoc starts to just wreck the ship. And people that are doing their jobs, like the lower decks are saying, what's going on? Oh, we're trying to return yeah. an enemy alien to its home. Oh, we are. Yeah. 
but what about our home? Well, don't worry about that. Right. You know, Janeway's already spoken for us. But what about the officers right. who, spoke, who speak for us? Like, well, we don't write for them anymore. That's the problem. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. You know, that's right. The, right. I mean, honestly, folks, I don't want to be snarky, but it's yeah. true. That's the problem. The problem is the writers aren't writing for this wonderful cast of characters that have supported Janeway's decision-making as cast of characters up until this moment. And now Chakotay's entire role has been subverted. You're right. He yeah. should have been the one that is pushing back on Janeway saying, remember that episode, Scorpion? I told you so, because that's what's uh -huh. happening right now. And I think that that's the in-world problem affecting the, the uh, in-universe problem. And I think that that is where Janeway really had an opportunity to present this problem to her staff and see how this is going to affect her staff and their staffs in terms of what are we preparing ourselves for? I mean, I think that that's something yeah. that's lost so far in Voyager. Well, I yeah, I, I agree. And uh, look, to the show's benefit, I think that they really are finding ways to heighten the drama and heighten that interpersonal character drama very effectively because it allows us to have a conversation like this. Um, but I do think that what we're missing, we're, we're missing that ability for a character like Chakotay to be the pushback. We're also missing that opportunity again for Seven and Tuvok to have a conversation because I want to find that logical angle to maybe make something click in Seven's head to say like, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why we do this. Because at the end of the day, I don't want people listening to this show to mistake what I'm saying here. I do think that coming down on the side of compassion is the correct answer. I think that there are mistakes made along the way in this episode, but I think that in terms of presenting a very Star Trek message about compassion, that's something that this episode is getting very close to doing. Um, but we have this interesting new element with this, you know, rogue player like Seven of Nine to get in the way of it and give that pushback to, uh, to Janeway. Safety tip. Don't activate your magnetic boots while you're doing cartwheels. This sounds like one of those rules that exists because one person tried it. Well, we have stalked ourselves all the way to the end of the episode. We have hunted down our prey, hopefully, uh, which at the end of every Mission Log episode is the segment of does the episode hold up? Does it withstand the test of time? That is one of two of our prey that mm -hmm. we've stalked. The other prey the morals, meanings, and messages, if we were able to track, hunt down, and capture any. So, John, um, I do love the the finger paint on your phone. Oh, thank you. It's very you. It's very Thank fitting. you. Thank you. Uh, did you choose uh, white or lavender? This well, I, I think given that I'm not in a ship uh, full of nets and bones, I think the lavender really stands out. You know, under different lighting, I think you just go with white because it goes with everything. You know, that's true. Yeah, it's very formal. Um, <laughs> I uh, I think this episode is really good. Not only does it hew very closely to a Devil in the Dark style story, mm -hmm, little uh, TOS reference there, but then it subverts that in a big way, <laughs> and and mm -hmm. it does it in a way that I feel only Voyager can do this well. I think we've got peak Janeway in seven here, so far, at least. And I like that there is still an element of danger to Seven's presence on board because she 
could, yeah, she can take over systems. She could make things very uncomfortable for the rest of the crew if you've got an alien on board that is deadly and she's the only one that can stop it. And then she doesn't. This is what we've wanted, I think, you you and I, in watching some of these back and forth with uh, Seven and Janeway which is that we come up to the line where we say, are there consequences for actions? Whether or not we can agree with the punishment, whether or not we can agree with the fairness of the situation, but we actually get to see some consequence from these actions. And now we have the inkling of a consequence, at least until the consequence disappears because the next story demands it. Who knows? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But here's what I think is way more interesting about this whole thing. Seven's actions, as I alluded to before, they, they are this microcosm for the whole premise of what Voyager is doing as a series or promised to do as a series back in the beginning. And I think that she is right to push back against Janeway with her question about asserting individual thinking. If the whole premise of Voyager is that we will try very hard to stick to our values as we go through the most treacherous, dangerous part of unknown space in order to get home, what does that do to us? And what do we sacrifice? And how do we make it back? Well, here's Seven really putting that right back in your face. And you can't just necessarily turn around and Put up the uh, put up the cones in front of the pleasure planet, run away, and hope that everything's going to be all right the next week. As far as the production goes, I do feel like the CG on Species Eight Four Seven Two here is not quite as good as when we first saw them back in Scorpion, but I think it's okay in the sense that I am still taken in by the story and paying a lot less attention to those special effects. But you know, we watched it several times, so that's what happens. Overall, I think this is a very solid episode with uh, some really standout scenes. Uh, And, you know, MVP here is honestly down to Kate and Jerry. (laughs) You know, they're both so good in their respective scenes. And I love, love, love that, that this is one of those times that the Janeway speech didn't work. That is a really curious and interesting and dramatic thing to see. Also, I mentioned it before, but I think uh, the direction in this episode is really good. So uh, that's another thing that makes this a lot of fun. So, yeah, this episode holds up even if there are some production dated elements. I think the story is just awfully good and it, it gives us something to chew on as your humble hosts. Uh, what about you, Norman? You know, I know that, you know, originally Star Trek was not supposed to kind of like bear this this weight of having controversial topics to talk about. But the more that we watch Voyager, I think the more that we're really kind of like finding these. And, and maybe that's where like a, a tonal shift in, oh, is this the Star Trek that I should be watching? Mm. Or is this the Star Trek that I am watching is coming into play? Because I do love that there is like this dramatic element in there. But at the same time, though, it's not it's kind of like really starting to edge away from you know the the TNG era obviously the TOS era of having more of the conflict deal with the aliens as opposed to the humans yeah. you know, we are beyond conflict or we're past conflict and we're just seeing it reflected the further we go out into space yeah. but now it's still coming back on us so the more humanized i think that we're seeing these characters from the 24th century and how they're behaving as real humans in the 20th century mm-hmm. at the time 
seems to kind of like collapse that illusion a little bit because we're supposed to see them as paragons of a different human, a better humanity, mm. you know? So that's, it's kind of hard to, 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 you know, to separate, you know, as you're watching the TV show, it's kind of like watching somebody in a fantasy movie say, you feel me? You know, it's that kind mm-hmm. of, you know, you don't, that colloquialism that just, again, collapses the fantasy from the reality yeah. or to the reality. Um, all that being said, though, I think this is a great third part of a, a non-serialized three-part story. You know, we had Message in a Bottle, then we had Hunters, and now we have Prey. All of them, you know, slowly developing the and I think that they're very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, even though we kind of like started fighting with them from the moment we saw them. So I'll, I'll, I won't let that point go <laughs> because I think that that was like, again, Seven, like making a decision to put Voyager and its crew in danger yeah. because you attacked an alien species you know nothing about. Yeah. That's very anti-Federation. Yeah. But then again, she's not Federation to begin with. So, you know, point right. taken. And I think that it's working well for me because like in this era of 90s television, 90s science fiction television, you know, this is being interlaced with what's going on with Deep Space Nine. So that's doing really well as a serialized story. And, you know, Babylon 5 is doing well as a serialized story. So when you get serialization into your series, it works because it's starting to be a format that's happening in this late 90s era of television. Tony Todd's the goat, dude. The goat. <laughs> yeah, <right>? hands down. <laughs> He is literally like one of the best guest stars that has ever graced any fandom or series, uh, especially for Star Trek, for sure. I can't, I don't have enough time to tout how incredible he is in Deep Space Nine's The Visitor. It's one of the greatest episodes of TV, yeah, I think, ever. Yeah. I think that the Herogen Alpha would have suffered as a character if performed by a lesser actor. Tony Todd yeah. saved that character for yep. me because he would have just been an empty rubber suit. But Tony Todd brings something special to that. He like literally, he's like a walking hunter. Yeah. Like just his attitude, like is perfection. So it's Tony Todd. What can yeah. you say? I really wish that they're, you know, they gave Chakotay more meaningful scenes, like some of the scenes that he had in this episode. But again, we said earlier on that a lot of kind of what he's doing, a lot of the pushback that he should be giving Janeway mm-hmm. is being relocated to Seven of yep. Nine. You know, which brings me to Jerry. And I think Jerry is a knockout actor. I mean, from the moment she steps on screen as a Borg to now, her scenes are flawless. Mm -hmm. Her performance is flawless. You know, her, just the way that she brings Seven to life is impeccable. Mm -hmm. The issue with with how much, it's how much she's being utilized over the rest of the cast. And there's always some type of tension that you could literally set your watch to when you're watching an episode because sooner or later, the main crux or critical mass of the story is going to happen between Janeway and Seven. Yeah. And that's where we miss the opportunity of the learning moment, the teachable moment. And that's where the end of this episode falls apart because Janeway's not teaching her anything. She's only punishing her. Yeah. Now, to be fair... She has tried to encourage Seven to do certain things. But in terms of actual hierarchy and protocol, Janeway hasn't taught her anything. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Right? So I find fault with Janeway for doing what she did to Seven because Seven's just like, I'm just doing what I do because no one's told me to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Formally. Yeah. Right? Formally. Yeah. I like the visual effects. I like the ships, the ship design, the asteroid feel at the oh, beginning. Oh, yeah. Really, really that was good. Nice. You know, yeah. all that stuff was very Empire Strikes Back, yeah. but, you know, kind of cool. 
yeah, those guns were ridiculous, <laughs> but hey, you know what? You still love it. <laughs> who, who, who doesn't love men in black guns? The only thing that I thought was interesting about the Herojin from a physical standpoint is that they weren't, like, Tony Todd wasn't nearly as big comparatively, you know, to uh, Robert and to uh, Robbie in the hallway as, say, Tiny Ron was to, like, Jerry and right. to um, and Tim. You know, and to yeah. Tim, you know, in the other ship in Hunters. Yeah. So. The Herojin took a, like, a little bit. They kind of shrunk a little bit, kind of like removed the massiveness of their scale. Yeah. Because there's no way that Tiny Ron is walking into that hallway without scraping his head on the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. But, I, I, you know, I love that we're kind of like on the same page here, you know, with how we felt about the episode. But the morals, meanings, and messages, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about Ooh, that. Ooh, okay. Well, I, I, love, I, I love it whenever Star Trek takes a, a position to explore compassion explore the idea of empathy and how that is what makes us better and that is that is a quality of humanity that makes us sort of go beyond our simple evolutionary imperative that we can be better people if we express compassion and empathy and uh, Janeway says it very nicely a single act of compassion can put you in touch with your humanity and Janeway's right but she also failed at teaching that lesson. And I don't know if compassion and empathy are things that can simply be taught. Can can they just simply be uh, directed to someone? Can you direct somebody to have compassion and expect that it will take hold? So I'm very curious here about the next steps, the next episode, the ones beyond that, the ones beyond that, to see if we get that arc out of seven where she actually internalizes that idea instead of it just being something that is forced upon her. Because I I think ultimately I'm asking myself if we're not really getting a lesson in compassion, because we as the audience, presumably, we're already on Janeway's side when it comes to this is how we need to be to in order to be better people. So what I wonder is if we're getting a lesson in leadership here, or maybe the lack of leadership here, or maybe in teaching skills, like, like how do you break through to the person who needs to hear the lesson? Janeway does not do a good job with that here. Seven is kind of like an unruly teenager in this episode. Think, go back to the very beginning. She rejects the doctor's lessons, even though he is being very kind and very patient. And she clearly rejects Janeway's lessons based on her own sense of logic and, very importantly, self-preservation. I, I don't know how you overcome that instinct. But then who's right and who's wrong? I, it, yes, it's about command structure, but everyone else volunteered to be a part of that structure. Seven didn't. So who actually needs to compromise here? And how do you drive home the lesson in the end? Again, I ask, can compassion actually be taught? Or if someone lacks that, can you logic your way into a position of empathy? And I said it before, I'll say it again. I really wish we had a scene with Seven and Tuvok here. Maybe we'll get one down the road because it seems like the appeal from emotion and the appeal from authority aren't working. We probably need to explore the appeal from logic next. So in maybe mission log parlance pathos and ethos didn't work can logos save seven what have you got norm yeah 
Well, I mean, I, I love your analogy there. And I think that we still have missed a huge opportunity to rectify one of my biggest issues with, you know, this kind of changeover in season four with so much focus on seven, because I think that in like shadowing a member of the crew to learn what, say, Neelix and Kess learned along the mm-hmm. way, kind of like mm-hmm. on the job training, yep. she would have not only learned the protocol, but she would also have learned the specialty skills, and we would have gotten her to spend more time with members of the crew so she knows the crew. Yeah. And then yeah. we get to see the crew teach her their different shades of morality. You know, of course, Chakotay and Balan are going to have a different look on things than, say, Tom and Harry. Yeah. But, 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 but we got squandered scenes with Seven and Harry that are completely inconsequential now. They're just cringy instead of taking that opportunity for Seven to actually learn about humanity. Yeah. Dude, she literally one-ups Harry again in this episode by locking his bridge <laughs> level access console yep. from a foot panel in a hallway. Yep. Yep. So mm-hmm. thanks, writers. Yep. Um, anyway, so I agree with what you're saying. I'm glad that we write our notes independently because I also did bring up that entire scene of a single act of compassion can put you in touch with your own humanity. I thought that yeah. was it's brilliant. Yep. It's brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. And I think it's a very poignant moment for, a, you know, not just, you know, Voyager, but for our morals, meanings and messages. Mm-hmm. But I do love Seven's pushback when she says, your decision is tactically unsound. We will be surrounded by Herogen ships in approximately two hours. If we do not surrender the creature, they will destroy us. A lesson in compassion will do me little good if I'm dead. And I'd said that before. <laughs> I love that line. You know, love that line. I yeah. said that before in discussion mm-hmm. where it's great to do the right thing. Yeah. But you can't do the right thing and continue to do the right thing for other people if, you, if you're gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. I agree with everything that you're saying. And if I had to write more notes, they probably would reflect what you've already said. However, mm-hmm. would you like to role play with me? John? Oh, sure. Oh, let's do it. This whole scene reminded me, and it takes me all the way back to the original series, because it reminded me of what I think one of the most pivotal lessons of mercy that I learned from Star Trek came from the episode Arena in the original series. This is that moment where Captain Kirk refuses to execute the Gorn captain, Uh as was his right in order to win his freedom and have the Mechtrones Uh spare the Enterprise. So if you would like to be Captain Kirk. Oh, no, 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 take the role of the Mechtrone. I mean, if anybody here is going to be Captain Kirk, (laughs) it's going to be you. So this is when the Mechtrone ambassador appeared before Captain Kirk and said, You surprised me, Captain. How? By sparing your helpless enemy, who surely would have destroyed you, you demonstrated the advanced trait of mercy, something we hardly expected. We feel there may be hope for your kind. Therefore, you will not be destroyed. It would not be civilized. What happened to the Gorn? I sent him back to his ship. If you like, I shall destroy him for you. No, that won't be necessary. We can talk. Maybe reach an agreement. Very good, Captain. There is hope for you. Perhaps in several thousand years, your people and mine shall meet to reach an agreement. You are still half-savage, but there is hope. We will contact you when we are ready. And scene. Very good. Thank you, John. (laughs) You know, I've always wanted to play against your Shatner, so thank you. This may be something for Star Trek Las Vegas. You never know. Throw off your plan there. There you go. Yeah. Uh there, There are so many incredible examples of this. How choosing to show mercy when least expected, is perhaps one of humanity's greatest strengths. 
and greatest weaknesses. Why a weakness, you say, or why a weakness, you ask me? Because when mercy is shown, just like seven example, when mercy is shown, more often than not, mercy is reciprocated. When mercilessness is shown, or in the context of this episode, when the prey is shown mercy, it has the chance to become the predator itself. And maybe that's the point of this episode, to show us that we may become what we may become if we as humanity lose our capacity to grant our enemies mercy. It may cost us everything. Or a simple act of mercy could change everything. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Retrospect. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, Tom Kozak, Julie Miller, Mike Richards, Mike Schaubel, Paul Shadwell, and David Takechi. Even when Seven is confined to her quarters, she can probably still lock Harry out of his station while she's playing Minesweeper. End transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.